First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? This is Peter, now the apostle, old and wise, as he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Let's pray together. Father, for the power of these words, through your spirit, we ask and pray that you would teach us, convict us, encourage us, help us today. May you be glorified through our attentiveness this morning to your word in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Last week, we looked at things godly parents do. It was Mother's Day. The thing is, I had four points and didn't have time really to say some of the things I really wanted to say. So I wanted to continue with that theme today. So our message is entitled, What Godly Parents Do, Part Two. Now I've changed the pictures. I've continued with my pastor's privilege of putting in whatever pictures I want. Think Mother's Day. And so I love that picture right there. Uh, I would say because my kids are young and, and wonderful, but um, I have thicker hair and, and uh, just good days. Now, you'll notice Luke is being held by his mother. She can't do that anymore, six foot three, but he's got this Kung Fu Panda hairdo going on there. I like that. I'm not sure what that is, a mohawk or something. And then Isaac is down there. He's not happy about something. Other than that, it's a picture-perfect pose. All right, uh, having said that, I, I wanted to share with you last week <clears throat> that godly parents demonstrate love in particular ways. You and I, as godly parents, and this applies to you, grandparents or great-grandparents or aunts and uncles, if you have a young person in your life, listen closely to this. Last week, I said that we demonstrate our love to children by, by what we do. We also demonstrate our love to children by what we say. Third, I said we demonstrate our love to children through discipline, and I shared with you from God's word that God loves us, and because he loves us, he disciplines us. And then I also mentioned that godly parents never give up. You don't quit on your kids as best you can. Never give up. That is long after they're gone from the home. You continue to pray for them as much as you can, as long as you can. To my mother's dying breath, she was praying for me and my brothers and sisters. Um, that was the kind of parent that she was. So today we're going to look at two more important things that godly parents will do. <clears throat> Number one, godly parents teach the law of harvest. Godly parents teach the law of harvest. Now, most of you know what that means. Some of you may not. <clears throat> to put it more simply, godly parents teach consequences, both the good and the bad. That's the beauty of the law of harvest. It's not just the bad stuff. It's the good stuff as well, that there are consequences, bad consequences or good con consequences, depending on what you've been doing. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, for example, teaches us this. Paul is sharing, look at that, isn't that cute? Uh, Paul was sharing with us, uh, and he's sharing with the church in Corinth, which was a messed up, dysfunctional church, and they needed to know this. He says, remember this. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This is so important. <clears throat> this is the reality in this world. It always has been and always will be. You reap what you sow. Ironically, we live in a culture that is unique to virtually every culture in the history of the world in which our culture is bombarding our children with the belief that you don't reap what you sow. You reap what other people sow, your parents or your grandparents, or you don't have to reap anything. You get to reap whatever you think you deserve. And it just doesn't work that way. The real world doesn't work that way. So they grow up wanting grades that they didn't really earn. I taught art for three years and I drove the parents crazy because I gave my children, and I wasn't a hard teacher, I didn't assign homework, there were never any exams in my class, and I wanted art to be fun. I taught art technique, but there are kids that just didn't do anything. They just sit in there and wouldn't even draw they wouldn't even try turning a blank paper week after week, month after month. And so I failed them. I didn't fail them. They failed themselves. And I'd have mad parents come in and they would say, look, it's just art. And I would tell them this little sermon. Hey, you know, you can say that about every single thing in life. If your children don't try, they are not going to succeed. If you let them go and say, yeah, it's just art. Well, you can apply that when they get a job, or you can say that to the, to the judge in court one day. It was just a misdemeanor. You understand that the law of harvest works throughout the world. So when they go to college and they don't study, they flunk out. If they go to, to a career and they show up late every day, they don't do anything while they're there, they, they call in sick constantly, or they, they just aren't interested in the job and they're not productive, they get fired. That's how the world works. You reap what you sow. And that may not sound fun, but it is fair. It's just how life works. And if we teach our children that they can receive, no matter what they do, whether they try or not, or they can misbehave constantly and there are no repercussions for that, they're not ready for the real world when they grow up. It's a simple rule, but it's a rule that has escaped so many in our world today. You reap what you sow. Spiritually, it is the case too, and Paul is speaking to the church, not as parents, but spiritually speaking, he says to them, in your life, in your relationship with God, in the good that you do in this world, having been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, God expects us as redeemed people to be light and salt to this world. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, another dysfunctional church that Paul again shares with the law of harvest, he says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Now, I committed a faux pas there, if I can use that terminology. I don't speak a lot of French. 
But um, I, I said something to you just now that gave you an indication, and this is, this is what we do from the pulpit. We just let everybody have it, you know, the whole world, the whole culture. And, and maybe it's just. What I said was accurate. But Paul is sharing to the church in Corinth and now the church in Galatia and to you and I that we are not responsible for what the whole world does. That's the good news. You and I are not accountable for what people in other places, in other states, people we don't even know and not even met, we watch them on the news and we go, oh, yep, there's the law of harvest. We're not responsible for them as they are not responsible for us. We are responsible for ourselves and our families. And so when we go to judgment day, when I go to judgment day, if I say to God, oh, you know, I was, I let them have it, Lord. All those people up in Oklahoma or California or wherever, I don't, that's not really fair comparison, but whatever state comes to your mind, I really just let them have it there. Those Iranians, they're awful. You know, the North Korea, oh my, China, we're mad at China. They're mad at us, I guess. And so there's tension there and we can just preach all day long about them, but they won't come up on judgment day. God will say, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I'm not here to ask you about the Chinese. What did you do with your family? What did you do in your own home? God will hold us to account for our behavior there. And so he says to that, in our life, in our circle, what have we been doing? He says, verse nine, so let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I know with parenting, it becomes exhausting doing good all the time with your children. You make the right decision. And I'll talk to you in just a minute about that. There was a news article this week. In fact, it was yesterday in the press. This is from Summerlin Keefe, uh, California. It said this. this. This happened two days ago, Friday. A shark in the Florida Keys bit the foot of a fisherman who had reeled it in, sending the man to the hospital, the Monroe County Sheriff's Office said Saturday, yesterday. The 35-year-old man was fishing off a dock in Summerlin Key when he caught the shark Friday night. While it was on the dock, it bit him in the foot. The sheriff's office said in a statement, the angler was flown by a trauma helicopter to a hospital in Miami. Now, if you're wading in the ocean and you get bit by a shark you didn't even know was there, you're the victim. <laughs> but if you catch a shark, now I'm not a shark expert, but you know, I've seen enough documentaries to know, if you're around a live shark, it's on the ground, stay clear. Don't stick your foot near its mouth or it's going to bite you. Anyway, that's what we call the law of harvest. <laughs> you reap what you sow. He reeled in that shark, and the shark, that's his last thing that he ever did on this earth, was bite the guy who killed him. And so, law of harvest. Another example for us as a church, the law of harvest, of course, spiritually applies to, for example, evangelism. We as a church are called to bear much good fruit. You see that on the, the fireplace out in the lobby, that famous passage that's so important in the Gospel of John where Jesus tells us to, to go and bear much good fruit as individuals, as families, and as a church. It is our commission to bear good fruit. Evangelism is one of those fruits, key fruits, so vitally important. 
Are we bearing good fruit as a church? That's why I love to, to be able to baptize as, as we share the gospel. And by the way, those who are baptized, we go through a baptism class. We share the gospel with them to make sure that everybody understands and gives their life and surrenders their life to faith in Jesus Christ. That they believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of our, our Lord, the bodily resurrection of Christ. And so we try to instill that in them and that's one of the fruits that are mentioned as mentioned in the New Testament, one of the major fruits. And so we are called to have fruit, the fruit of evangelism. Billy Graham, the evangelist uh, uh, who is probably the, the most famous evangelist other than the Apostle Paul himself, said this, the evangelistic harvest is always urgent. The destiny of men and of nations is always being decided. Every generation is strategic. We're not responsible for the past generation, and we cannot bear the full responsibility for the next one. But, he says, we do have our generation. God will hold us responsible as to how well we fulfill our responsibilities to this age. So on Judgment Day, when we're saying, oh, Lord, those Chinese or those Russians, God's going to say, well, why didn't you convert them? <laughs> Did you share the gospel with them? Did you go to the ends of the earth as I commissioned you to do? What have you been doing? The law of harvest applies there. Again, that's the negative. On the positive, if we are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, we see that fruit. And God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. But to parenting, as a part of the law of harvest, I always will say this, and it's very important, never bluff. When you tell your children, these are the rules, you're going to reap what you sow. If you do good, I'm going to commend you. I'm going to reward you. If you do what I tell you not to do, you're going to receive punishment. That's a part of discipline in children. It's a part of consistency as parenting. And if you bluff, your kids are going to catch it. Sooner or later, they're going to call your bluff, and then you're doomed from there on out. If you don't punish them, and I understand as a parent because you say it over and over again, you have to punish them and punish them and punish them. It's easier just to let it go. Oh, that's bad though. You do that to yourself. That's the law of harvest working in reverse as a parent. And so you want to never bluff. Matthew chapter 5, verse 36. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said simply, and do not swear. Look at there. Look at that. <laughs> okay. Do not swear by your head, for you can't make even one hair white or black. Amen? Well, you can for a few weeks. <laughs> Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. He is saying you be a man or a woman of integrity. If you say it, mean it. If you say it, do it. And if you're not going to mean it and you're not going to do it, don't say it. All the, I swear on my mother's grave and whatever we want to say, that doesn't make any difference. You shouldn't have to do that. You be a man or a woman of godly integrity. If you say it, you mean it. You do it. And if you, so if you look somebody in the eye and you say, I'm going to pray for you this week, you better pray for them. Don't just give them some platitude. You pray for them. If you tell somebody you're going to help them, help them. 
If you give somebody your word about something, give them your word. One of the most powerful lessons you can teach your children is by example, by being a, a, a father or a mother of integrity because the law of harvest applies to you too. Not easy, but we are in, to instill God into our children and God does not bluff. By the way, he has never bluffed. He doesn't ever bluff. If he says there are consequences, there are going to be consequences, both good and difficult. In other words, raise up your children knowing what God expects of them. Watch this brief clip. A holy stewardship, a precious opportunity, a divine calling, a parent. Parenting isn't just about babysitting and potty training. It's not just about teaching them to ride a bike or tie a shoe. It isn't just about making lunches and brushing teeth. Parenting is about changing the world. It's about reminding our kids who they really are, children of God, born for His glory. So parents, let's remember that the most important meetings of your day aren't in a conference room or on a stage, but at the dinner table and at the bedside. Let's remember that there's no quality time without quantity time. That the most valuable thing is not what you leave for them, but what you leave in them. That every time they fall down, you have the responsibility and the privilege of lifting them back up. Remember that your kids don't need you to be popular, productive, and certainly not perfect. They need you to be present. And remember that every time you wipe away the tear on their cheek, you're giving them a glimpse of the day when God himself will wipe away every tear forever. The Bible tells us to train up a child in the way they should go. And even when they're old, they will not depart from it. So show them the way. Pray for their soul and give them your best. Because God gave you to them. After the first service, someone came up to me and said, where did they get all those happy families? <laughs> so godly parents teach the law of harvest as you instill God into your children. Again, for the parish boys that were baptized this morning, there are so many important lessons that they have received from their families, but the most important thing they have ever or will ever receive is the knowledge of Jesus Christ that they taught them. Secondly, godly parents teach not only the law of harvest, this is so important, and a day-to-day -day lesson. Godly parents teach their children the law of grace. Teach your children the law of harvest, but teach them the law of grace. Paul was writing the church in Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 8. He says this. There's Gabrielle, look at that. <laughs> For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. You've been saved by grace, through faith. Have you been teaching your children grace? We live in a world also where so many children are not taught what grace and mercy really are. And if you don't instill that one characteristic in your child, they will grow up as a bitter, angry person. They're going to grow up believing that it is a world only of justice and they will see the injustice in the world that's committed to others and committed to themselves and it will eat them like cancer. Because if you only give to this world what you think it deserves, you're going to be bitter and angry. But God teaches us grace and mercy, giving us better than what we deserve. Teach them grace. I'd like to read to you a short story that perfectly illustrates God's grace. It's an old story. It's about a boy in school long, long ago who always seemed to be in trouble. One day he was called to the principal's office for being bad in class. And this is where the story begins. <clears throat> it reads, the boy stood with back arched, head back and hands clenched defiantly. Go ahead, he said, give it to me. The principal looked down at the young rebel. How many times have you been in here? The child sneered rebelliously. Apparently not enough. The principal gave the boy a strange look. And he says, and you've been punished each time, and yet you're still here. Yep, I've been punished. If that's what you want to call it, he threw out his small chest. Go ahead, I can take whatever you dish out. I always have. And no thought of your punishment enters your head the next time you decide to break the rules, does it? Nope, he says, I will do whatever I want to do. Ain't nothing you people gonna do to stop me either. The principal looked over at the teacher who stood nearby sternly. What did he do this time? The principal asked. Fighting, the teacher said. He took little Tommy and shoved his face into the sandbox. The principal turned to look at the boy and said, why? What did little Tommy do to you? Nothing. I didn't like the way he was looking at me. Just like I don't like the way you're looking at me now. And if I thought I could do it, I'd shove your face into something too. The teacher stiffened and started to rise, but a quick look from the principal stopped him. He contemplated the child for a moment and then quietly said, today, my young student is the day you learn about grace. Grace? Isn't that what you old people do before you sit down to eat? I don't need none of your stinking grace, the boy said. Oh, but you do. The principal studied the young man's face and whispered, oh yes, you need to know grace. The boy continued to glare as the principal continued. Grace in its short definition is unmerited favor. You cannot earn it. You do not deserve it. It is a gift and is always freely given. It means that you will not be getting what you deserve today. The boy looked puzzled. You're not going to whip me? You're just going to let me walk? The boy studied the face of the principal. 
No punishment at all, he said, even though I punched Tommy in the face and shoved his face into the sandbox? The principal re replied, oh, there has to be punishment. What you did was wrong, and there are always consequences to our actions. There will be punishment. Grace is not an excuse for doing wrong. I knew it, sneered the boy as he held out his hands. Let's get on with it. The principal nodded toward the teacher. Bring me the belt. The teacher presented the belt to the principal. He carefully folded it in two, and then he handed it back to the teacher. He looked at the child and said, I want you to count the blows. He slid out from behind his desk, walked over to stand directly in front of the young man. He reached gently down and covered the boy's outstretched, expectant hands, and then turned to the face of the teacher. One quiet word came from his mouth, begin. With the principal's hands covering over the boy's hands, the belt whipped down on the outstretched hands of the principal. Crack! The young man jumped 10 feet in the air. Shock registered across his face. One, he whispered. Crack! Two, the boy's voice raised an octave. Crack! Three, he couldn't believe this. Crack! Four, big tears welled up in the eyes of the young rebel. Okay, stop. That's enough. Stop. Crack! came the belt down on the calloused hands of the principal. Crack! The child flinched with each blow. Tears began to stream down his face. Crack! Crack! No, please, the boy begged. Stop. I, I did it. I'm the one who deserves it. Stop. Please stop. Still the blows came. Crack! Crack! One right after the other. Finally, it was over. The principal stood with sweat glistening across his forehead and trickling down his face. Slowly, he knelt down. He studied the young man for a second and with his swollen hands reached out to cradle the face of the weeping child. He looked him in the eye and said, Grace. Our passage today is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, which says this, He himself bore our sins on his body, on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That's grace. Teach that to your children. Pray with me. Father, we acknowledge that our children need to know the law of harvest, that they reap what they sow. It is a fundamental principle of all of history and all of time and all the world. In every culture, Every age, we reap what we sow. But unlike everyone else in every culture, in every place, in every other religion, as your people, we have learned a very important characteristic of our life, a very important fact, a truth that is found in Christ. And that is mercy. Only Christians can really truly understand mercy. Because Christ died for us on the cross in our place. We should have died. We should have suffered. It's because of our sins. But he chose to take that for us. The nails, the beating, every crack of the whip should have been on us. 
He took it. And that is grace. Thank you for your mercy. As we're praying, looking, uh, no one's looking around right now, right where you are. Can I challenge you just to thank Christ for his mercy in your life? Parents, I want to challenge you, uncles, aunts, relatives, if there's a young person in your life, may I challenge you right now to come to your God and say, God, would you help me teach the law of harvest? Would you help me to teach them about grace and mercy in Christ? No two more important lessons can they learn from you. From you. They're not born with that knowledge. They have to they have to learn it. Would you teach them? Could be God is calling you to join with First Baptist Church, you and your family. You just want to come up and say, Pastor, we'd like to join. Or maybe you want to surrender to Christ who died in your place, suffered for you. And you know you don't deserve it, but he gave you that mercy, that grace. And you want to say, I want to, I want to give my life to Jesus today. Could be God is calling you just come and kneel and pray. If God is leading right now, this opportunity is for you. Would you stand? No one's looking around. All heads are bowed. All eyes are closed. And as you stand, as we pray right now, you come.